Welcome to Animals to the Max. I'm your host, Corbin Maxey. This show is about animals and the people who dedicate their lives to them. And welcome everybody to another episode of Animals to the Max. I am your host, Corbin Maxey. How's it going, everyone? Thank you so much for tuning in. Folks, we have a great episode for you today. This is something I know that you've all been waiting for. This is our first ever vet Q&A, and I am joined by my personal veterinarian and very good friend, Dr. Mike Koob from the Idaho Humane Society. Dr. Koob has been working as a veterinarian for over 30 over almost 33 years. He's a very experienced dealing with all different types of um, just companion animals, cats, dogs, but he also has experience with the exotics, which is great. I can't wait to talk to him about that. And uh, we're looking forward to answering all of your questions that you have asked. Dr. Koo, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me, Corbin. Happy to be here. Thank you. You're a busy man. It took me like a month to get you. <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. But I'm happy to do whatever I can to help you out. Yes. So you've been a veterinarian for over 30 years, correct? Correct. Graduated from vet school in 1986. Uh-huh. Moved straight to Idaho, and here I stay. Do you remember you actually were my parents' veterinarian when I was a kid? I believe it. I think probably your mom's first dog that I saw had to have been a Roddy. Uh huh. Yep. Yep. Rottweilers. Yeah. So were you just out of vet school then? Because I was. Well, maybe probably. Yeah. yeah late eighties. Were you even born then? No. Well, ah! late eighty nine. <laughs> I'm getting old there. I'm getting yeah, up there. Tell me about I'm it. getting up there. Well, thank you for doing this. Sure. Uh, so basically, for those of you listening, uh, just uh, just a few days ago, I asked on my Facebook for some of my followers, "Do you have any vet related questions? Ask away." And sure. we got several, several yes, people. I, I love these questions. They're just. Questions that I answer every day. They're questions that are in the news. They're questions that are perfectly appropriate and happy to go through them and answer whichever ones you think are important. Okay, sounds good. And I feel so bad I sent all these questions to Dr. Kub on his day off. (laughs) I'm like, here, yeah, take a look. But you said, yeah, these are pretty common questions. Exactly. Really quick, I just want to throw it out there. What is the most common question you get being a veterinarian? I think that's a really good one. I don't know if I have a good answer for that. It's almost always behavioral things. You know, like, how do I stop my dog from chewing on the couch? How do I stop my cat from scratching, from peeing in the floor? You know, all behavior things seem to be the most general questions that we get all the time. Okay, and so what are your answers for those? It depends. Go see a behavior animal specialist. <laughs> <laughs> but there's a million and one answers for most behavioral problems. And, okay. And, and we, we, we vets, especially as older guys, have some, have some hints and have some, some cues that we can help you out with. And, uh, um but animal behavior is a whole science itself, and I'll never presume to know what goes on in a dog's, or especially a cat's brain. Okay, okay. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Well, how about we jump on these questions sure. here? Okay. Well, the, the first ones had to do with parasites, and, and, and fleas especially. And, and I have a little speech that I give to people whenever a person comes in with a new pet or something. And the simple answer in Idaho, we're really pretty lucky. We don't have external parasites very bad at all fleas especially i never really saw fleas in idaho until the mid 90s um, we just didn't really have fleas now we see fleas pretty routinely but not enough that i really think you need to put chemicals on your animals for flea control all the time um, there are a lot of good products out there there are a lot of over-the-counter products you can buy at pet stores some of which are real more powerful than others and a lot of my answers today are going to be, well, talk to your veterinarian and get their honest opinion, because what I say may not be the best for your particular pet, but there's some, there's some, there's some, there's some good products out there and there's some bad products out there. Some dog flea products you cannot use on cats. You need to be really careful about that. Okay. 
but I'm, I'm going to throw one name out. There's a new product out now called Brevecto uh, that kills fleas and ticks for three months with one pill for your dog or one application of a topical on the top of their on the top of a cat's back. Um, really effective, really safe. It works really well. Okay. For fleas. And how, how expensive is it? Is it pretty reasonable? That, well, that depends. If you count, <laughs> it's about 50 bucks per animal. Okay. But when you figure that's three months worth, that's about 15, 16 bucks per month, which is about what you pay for good flea control products anyway, the way it is. Okay. Um, so, yeah, getting rid of fleas. You always got to remember with fleas, if you find one flea on your dog or your cat, then there's probably nine or ten fleas in your carpet in your house. Mm -hmm. Fleas spend about 10% of their time on the animal. The rest of the time they're living in your house. So really? Yeah, so if you're trying to if you're trying to get rid of a flea problem in your house and you're just treating the animals, you're going to lose cuz there's still going to be eggs in the carpet, there's going to be baby fleas in the carpet for 3 or 4 weeks between. Now the good thing with these long acting products is if you give your dog one pill, and three or four weeks later, a baby flea hatches out from in your carpet and it hops on your dog. When it bites your dog, it's going to die also because that product is still is still viable and will still take care of it. Will still kill that adult flea. Um, in the summer, then you got to think about yards too. And if you have feral cats or semi wild cats that roam around through the neighborhoods, they're the ones that are carrying fleas back and forth too. So yards in the summer, houses year round, long term products on your dog or cat is the best way you can do. You know what? We have an issue with with a uh, skunk, and I oh, love man, skunks, sure. but we have one that sometimes Mr. Skunk will go underneath the animal house, and I can actually smell him when yep. he when he's yeah. there, oh, yeah, yeah. and I've actually seen him before. Sure. But we'll notice after Mr. Skunk leaves or when he's been around, we'll have these little fleas trying to hop on. I'm, our... I am positive. I would bet you're exactly right. That's the reservoir. Well, well, Corbin, you got to get some of this medicine in that in that skunk thing. I don't know <laughs> if you try. <laughs> It'd be my guest if you would, if you want to try to catch you know, a skunk. Hey, I'm a little serious. I wonder if we could hide one of those pills in a little piece of canned dog food and let the skunk eat. Are you serious? I don't know why that wouldn't work. This it's, is great. It's what we would call off-label, meaning okay. it's not labeled for skunks. But I would not have a problem medically giving it a try. This that is the That's most amazing cool. thing we I've heard. Might try that. Yeah, because we definitely love the skunks. They're great. Sure. They, you know, you know, our grubs and stuff like sure, that. Yeah. So they don't bother us. Are you reasonably certain it's the same one, or do you have a merry-go-round of skunks coming in? I don't know. That's thing? a good question. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to you know yeah. look at a skunk and be like, oh, you know what? Right. That one's right. Betty. This one's Clark. <laughs> I, I've actually I've <laughs> only yeah. seen them once. Okay. Yeah. But you could. They have a smell. But yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. I wonder if it is the same one. Well, I, skunks are. are common i know that for a fact skunks have fleas really common the worst wildlife animal in southern idaho that has fleas are foxes really red foxes are covered with fleas every one of them year round every one that i've ever seen we do a lot of wildlife work here too and see injured foxes and coyotes and they all are always just covered with fleas Um, it's amazing but it's, it's nature, you know. They've lived with them for how many millions of years? Yeah, they can figure it tons out. of years. And by the way, I, I, want, I don't want to give a bad PR for skunks or coyotes or foxes. Yeah. They're great for rodent control. Yeah, and oh, so, yeah, yeah. yeah. They're, they're part of living in Idaho. Yeah. Oh, I love it. I can hear them by my house. The coyotes yeah. at night. Oh, yeah. yeah. Anyway, yeah. so back off. So first of all, we have to thank Carol and Mandy for the flea question. Okay, yeah. do you want to handle our next one from Mary Jane? Mary Jane. Had hey, a, Mary Jane. Had a, yeah, I had a question about long-term uses of prednisone. Um, well, this, I'm going to talk about drugs in a little bit, and uh, there's a lot of different medications that we use in our dogs and cats that we vets prescribe for our dogs and cats for a lot of different reasons and a lot of different, um, a lot of different reasons. Um, 
Some of them can be a little bit negative on the animal's body for long-term use, and notably one of them is potentially prednisone, which is a steroid. Uh, steroids are weight builder type of things, and there's lots of other good uses for steroids. Uh, people that have COPD are on steroids. People that have bad asthma sometimes have to take steroids in addition to inhalers and stuff. This dog in question has really bad arthritis, is my understanding, and prednisone is 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 a really good non is a, is a really good steroid anti-inflammatory. We have lots of good non-steroid anti-inflammatories that. I guess I would ask Mary Jane to see if she's tried that before, then you won't have near the side effects from prednisone. Um, her question specifically had to do with daily prednisone, and yes, steroids given daily can cause a problem with the adrenal glands, sometimes with the liver, so you want to try to get it down to every other day or every third day if you can. Um, there's lots of different treatments for arthritis and, and steroids, prednisone is just one of them. Uh, again, I would have a good conversation with your veterinarian and come up with a better plan or a different plan and see if that's all you can do. And mind you, for those of you at the Treasure Valley, Dr. Coop is available, correct? We, we do see public, <laughs> I work here at the Idaho Humane Society Veterinary Medical Center, and yes, we, see, we can see all public animals for medical problems, no matter what it is, no matter what your income level is, and especially people that have low incomes. That's what we're here for. That's our mission is to do everything we can to make sure that people have a veterinarian that can see their animals. Yes, and Dr. Coop is very popular, so if you do want to request Dr. Coop, he's... You might have to wait a week. Yeah, 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 you might have to wait, but they have several other veterinarians who'd be more than happy to take you on. Yeah, and we never, we never turn walk-ins away. That's the other thing I'd say about our clinic here. Um, uh, Saturdays and Sundays are walk-ins only. Some Saturdays we see 60 or 70 or 80 walk-ins. and uh, mm. um, It's a rock and roll place, but don't ever hesitate bringing your animal down if you have a question or especially a, a major problem. You know, bring them in. Don't let, don't let somebody tell you, oh, no, they're too busy. Don't go out there. We'll mm -hmm. always fix you. Yep, yep. And you've been seeing my animals for years. Since uh, I can't even imagine. Back in the day. I, it's so funny when I bring animals in, it's, it turns into like this giant like picture day for everyone That's in the Humane right. Society. Everyone's well, like, get in here, Dr. Smith. Dr. I mean, whatever. Yeah, I know. Between your, your, your cool snakes and your big alligators, which I just heard you say you have one that's 10 foot or not. 10 feet. Oh, my goodness. You're going to have to brush his teeth. Yeah, well, <laughs> you said something about him living in a hot tub or a hot he's, spring, so we might, have to, we might have to try that out. Well, he's not living in a hot tub. We just have natural <laughs> Thermal water. Yeah. They don't make hot tubs big that's enough, right. unfortunately. Yeah. That's, cool. that's perfect. That's yeah. Cool. Okay, awesome. Uh, well, thank you so much, uh, Mary Jane, for that question. Let's move on. Oh, let's see. We're talking about heartworms now. Yeah, Maddie had a question about heartworms, and um, it brings up an interesting topic. Heartworms um, are a worm that lives in dogs' hearts, thus the name heartworm. Um, they are a new thing in Idaho. We never had a native Idaho dog ever test positive for heartworm disease until summer of 07. So just in the mid-thousands, 07, 08, we started to see positive dogs that lived their whole life in Idaho. Now, the life cycle is totally dependent upon a mosquito. A mosquito has to bite a dog that has those adult heartworms in their heart and sucks up some blood with a baby heartworm. And then that mosquito goes and bites dog number two, and injects that baby heartworm in dog number two. That's the only way it's spread. It's not spread by fecal matter, it's not spread by contact, it's not even spread by blood transfusions. It has to go through the mosquito. It's amazing life cycle. Yeah. Carton's sitting here with his mouth open. Well, I didn't, I'm not familiar so with about it. it. Well, I'll have to tell him sometime how it actually works. But it is a, it's a complex life cycle. Parasites in general have such uh -huh. amazingly complex life cycles. How they get from one animal to another is, is an amazing evolutionary biological trick. 
So the trick, the, the deal with heartworm disease in the Treasure Valley, in my opinion, is it's all about mosquito exposure. So now Mr. and Mrs. Smith comes in with little Fifi Poodle that lives in an <laughs> apartment that runs off the patio twice a day to pee and poop and runs back in the house. You know, I'm not too worried about that dog. Yeah, we could, that dog could get bitten by a mosquito, but we could have an earthquake tomorrow too. So you've got to figure some odds there. Now, on the other hand, if I have a big Labrador and he sleeps outside and I live down by the Boise River and I go fishing or camping every weekend and he's exposed to a lot of mosquitoes, I'd put that dog on heartworm prevention. Okay. And prevention involves giving him a pill once a month during the spring, summer, and fall when mosquitoes are out. I personally think it's not necessary. Is it totally unnecessary? No, I personally don't think it's necessary to give him heartworm prevention during the winter. It doesn't hurt, um, but you're giving them a chemical or a medication that they don't need. Now dogs, then the next question about heartworm disease is whether we need to test them to see if they already have worms in their heart. It's a little bit of a tricky thing, but the heartworm preventative medication just kills the baby heartworm. It does not kill the adult heartworm. So you might be lulled into a false sense of security if your dog already had the adult heartworms in its heart. So we do advise and recommend highly that you do a blood test to make sure your dog does not have adult heartworms in its heart already. If it does, then we got to go down a different track and get rid of those first. If it does not, and then you keep them on heartworm prevention during the mosquito season, which again, in my opinion, is April through October, then you should be fine. And we don't require a test every year. A test is not a bad idea, but we don't require it out here. So her question had to do, how necessary are heartworm preventative medications? Well, not zero, but not everyone. So okay. you've got to have a heart-to-heart -heart conversation with your veterinarian, um, listen to what they're saying, mm -hmm. look at your dog's lifestyle, um, see what you want to do for that. Okay. That sounds great. Every dog's that different. That was great. I'm, I'm fascinated with the life cycle of the heartworm. We could do a whole podcast on oh, this. Oh, man, we could. I'll tell you. <clears throat> oh, parasites in general. Don't get me started. I, okay. Well, I mean... <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's like, do it, do yeah. it, do it. That's don't, get, don't get me started talking about rabies. That's something else, too. Oh, let's do it. Okay, later. well, we still have... Maybe later. Okay, yeah. okay, sounds great. Well, uh, our next question comes from Leslie, who Leslie wrote us a novel. That was a joke, Leslie. But no, thank you for... It's always good to get all the detailed information. And... Uh, it was about her little kitty? I believe so. Yeah, who's just an obsessive biter, scratcher... Um, well, and that's common with kitties that were kind of semi-feral before they were adopted. They're mm -hmm. just so appreciative of having somebody to love and, love and give them attention. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to plead a little bit of, this is a behavior thing that can take way more than a podcast to talk about. But there are lots of different things you can do for a kitty that is a little bit of a nipper or wants to scratch things. Um, my first obvious answer is get another kitty. Um, really? I hate to say it, but it, and I'm not just saying that to increase, <coughs> increase veterinarian's business, but very often two kitties are less pain in the butt than one. Um, they'll play with each other, take out a lot of nervous energy on each other instead of your legs and the couch, couch arm and all that kind of stuff. So that's my first easy answer. Um, this, this young lady mentioned, um, and I don't know if she's a young lady, mentioned that she uh, has like tried a couple way. of things. She liked it anyway. So she, she, uh, she has already tried a couple things, some pheromones and some zilkeen, which is a behavior modifier that didn't seem to work. Well, every cat's different, so you got to give them a lot of different chances. This kitty, I think, needs something to do, um, and I think another kitty would be my first advice. 
That's interesting. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. Okay. Got to got to uh, got to got to make the business grow. You know, more and more kitties, and yeah. we have lots of kitties for adoption out here at the Humane Society. There so you come go. Check them out. Thank you, Leslie, for your question. I have yeah. a question for you that sure. just came to yeah, me. Yeah, please. So my sister and her fiance. They, you know, adopted two dogs from here. Yeah. And they recently just adopted a young kitten named Mosi. They just got this cat, right? Cool. And so it's so funny because they just ordered a pet cam. So now they can spy sure, on the yeah. animals. You yeah. know, those are super popular now. Not that expensive, like yeah. 40 bucks to spy on. And you can actually talk to your pets and yell at them. But what's for your kids, too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but what's interesting is ever since they got the kitten, one of the dogs that they have named Chief is acting out and he's getting into the trash and they couldn't figure out who the dog was until they got the pet cam so ah, chief has been getting go. getting into the trash what do you say about that it is behavioral but well again here's another behavioral thing well okay. that guy is acting out because he's he's feeling some of his the attention that was directed to him is not directed to him now it's directed to the kitty so um do you increase the 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 psychological things that he can do give him more toys more more treats all that kind of stuff um, or do you crate train him and get him to make sure that he's comfortable in his crate? Uh, that can come up with another whole ball of problems, too, getting a dog in a crate and okay. training him to stay in a crate. Um, don't have a good answer for behavior problems like that. Um, time is a lot. How, how long has this kitty been there? Oh, like two months now. Okay. I'd give it some more time. Okay. And once the kitty gets past the kitten stage, is it still a kitten? Yes, yes. Yeah. You know, once it gets to be a teenager, at least more of an adult, a dog would probably figure, well, this kitty's going to stay here, so I better quit doing what I'm doing. Someone told her to put Tabasco on well, the trash can lid. Is there's, that... There are behavior things. There's always positive reinforcements, and there's always negative reinforcements. And if you can eliminate yourself from the negative reinforcement by putting some Tabasco sauce on it or put a mousetrap just inside the lid of the, of the garbage can or make a little thing where you're sitting in the back room and when, as soon as he goes close to the... Garbage can, you squirt him with a squirt gun. Okay. Um, so you can eliminate yourself or eliminate the person from that negative reinforcement. But they think they think God's talking to him if something uh, happens. Okay. And, and you said a mouse trap just to scare him away. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah I, 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 I just want to him on the nose. <clears throat> yeah. I, I just, just wanted to just, clarify. Yeah. That's a good one. Yeah. That's a good one. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you. Sorry for yeah, getting yeah, sidetracked. No, 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 that, that works out. That's great. Um, uh, behavior things are a real challenge, and it's persistence. And a lot of it is basic obedience, too. You can uh, alleviate, eliminate or alleviate a lot of bad behaviors by just taking them to a good behavior class. You know, and you know, if you, people say, well, I can train them myself. Well, sure you can, but you won't be as religious and, and specific about it as if you take them to a class where you're getting some, some coaching and some education, getting around other dogs, get them to a professional trainer who knows how to, how to train them to not do this and how to train them to do that. So. I think training classes are well worth it. Do you have them here at the Humane Society? We do have them. We have a trainer that works here, um, and we have classes here. I know there are several other people in town that do their classes out here. And, you know, just check it out on the website or check out. I've never heard anything bad about any trainers in town. There's just okay. lots of ways to train a dog. Okay. Great. Yeah. This is good. We're, good, we're on a roll. Look oh, at yeah, this. Yeah. We're on a roll. We're doing good. What is our next question? What's we have the next from, one from here? Katie. Oh, kennel. Well, it had to do with kennels. And, and I mentioned that a little bit about crate training a dog and kenneling a dog. And, boy, that's a toughie. And okay. um, I, have, I have two dogs that are on the opposite ends of the spectrum as far as a crate goes. Um, my one older dog, he will hurt himself if I put him in a crate and leave the room. Um, my newest dog, she can spend 12 hours in the crate, and she's happy-go-lucky and love and life. Um, 
I, I have to hide my head in shame when I talk to people about how to crate train their dog because my older dog, I haven't been able to do it. Um, you just got to be persistent, maybe have the crate open all the time and just, you know, feed them in there, put some treats in there, put some toys in there, have the crate there while you're watching TV and play with them going in and out and in and out. You know, get them used to it for a while and then gradually leave them in there for longer periods of time. Uh, don't leave the door locked for any period of time at first. Get them used to it, realizing that that's their den. Uh, sometimes dogs like a crate that is covered, so it's a den. It's an isolated little timeout zone that they can go into and feel comfortable. Some dogs that aren't comfortable in it, that have true separation anxiety, that's another whole ball game. Oh, man. Then you got to talk to your vet about it. Okay. Okay. Drugs. Drugs. <laughs> do you? Some, there's some options. Prozac works great in dogs. Yeah, I was just going to ask yeah. you, do you subscribe a lot of antidepressants to dogs? Um, a lot. That's a great question, Corbin. Um, some. Under okay. the right circumstances, yeah. Prozac works great in probably about 60% of the dogs that you try it in. Um, some it doesn't. Sometimes you got to go for the big guns and give them some Xanax or some <laughs> true sedatives, <laughs> you know, for, so they don't tear your house apart. Really? Um, yeah. And some dogs like mine, doesn't matter. He... He gets anxiety through whatever kind of medication I can throw at him. That's why he's in my office right now under my desk. Okay, okay. That's interesting. Okay, now do you prescribe uh, Prozac to cats too? Uh, that's a really good one. I think Prozac is okay for cats. I don't know that I personally have prescribed Prozac for a cat. Anything else? Guinea pigs? Nothing? Like no, that's a good one. Um, guinea, uh, little small pets don't seem to have near the behavior problems mm -hmm. as we see in our dogs and cats. Maybe because they're still more of a wild animal. Yeah. So I was going to say... Every animal's different. You know? Every animal's different. Yeah. Wow. Prozac. So, so that was a good one about uh, crate training. Um, then the next... Uh, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to skip one and talk a little bit about vaccinations here. Uh, Sean had a question about titer tests for vaccinations. And, and uh, that's, that's a really upfront, forward-thinking thought there. What this involves is instead of vaccinating your dog every year or every three years like you're supposed to or can... You can do a blood test to see what their titer is. And a titer is, is some sort of relationship with how good that dog's immunity is against those diseases. Now, the problem is no titers have ever been verified for whether they really work or not. There's not a number that we can know your titer of your dog is 5 over 100 if that will protect your dog from parvo, whereas one over 100 won't. And there's all sorts of different tests. There's all sorts of different testing kits. The, the companies that, that produce these tests, um, I challenge them. I have not seen any documentation that they can prove that a titer of X will protect your dog, whereas a titer that is half X won't protect your dog. So it's really expensive. Um, I don't see the benefit. Um, millions and millions of dogs have received millions and millions of, of vaccines without any problems. Um, if you're philosophically against vaccines, that's one thing. If you just don't want to do it because you think there's something, there's something wrong with the vaccine, um, I would challenge that a little bit. But um, I, I would imagine as time goes on, we will be able to do a blood test and determine whether your dog, yes, is immune to parvo or yes, is immune to distemper. But right now, the data is just not there. Okay. So vaccinate them. It's so safe, so easy. I see dogs every day here that have parvovirus in, intestinal problems, parvovirus enteritis, especially pit bull puppies because people don't think they need to vaccinate their pit bulls because they think they're tough. 
but they're oh. the worst dog for parvo. Really? Um, every day. Okay. And it's a tough one. They'll die if they don't get treatment. So okay. vaccinate, vaccinate, vaccinate. There's my lecture Good. for that. There you go. Good. Well, thank you for clearing yeah, that yeah, up yeah. for uh, Sean. Sean, thank you so much for your question. So then we back up, and Jessica had a question about a 10-month-old lab who already has severe hip dysplasia. And man, oh man, that's a challenge. I, I guess my question would be if that has been diagnosed with x-rays, then that's one thing. If it's just something that she or her vet um, believes, then that's another thing. Um, if it truly is a dog that's 10 months old that already has hip dysplasia, and that means um, early arthritis in the hips, it technically means that there's a deformation in the hip, the cup and the ball and socket of the hip joint aren't built normally, um, and so they're gonna have a lifetime of arthritis in those hips. Um, in a young dog, there are several surgeries that can be done to essentially cure it or make it way better. Uh, the best of which is total hip replacement, just like they do in people. Um, there are veterinarians in Boise that do it at West Vet. There are Randy Aker in Sun Valley does a lot of total hips. Um, it's expensive, but it gives a dog a lifetime of pain-free hip motion. Um, it is expensive. Um, medication sometimes helps. What is expensive? I'm just three, four thousand dollars per hip. Per hip? Yeah. And you have to do both. You can't. You, well, you can't. that's a, that's a great question. I've had a handful of dogs over the years that had had the worst hip done, and the other hip became arthritic, but the dog was able to get around pretty well. Okay. Um, medications. The Jessica's question had to do with what she can do to strengthen his muscles. Well, that's that's a reasonable thought. And yes, there's lots of physical therapy you can do. Um, swimming is great. Um, there's actually a physical therapy veterinarian specialist at West Vet now who can help build up muscles and give you some exercises to help with. Um, but a 10-month-old dog that's got hip dysplasia, that's a lifetime of issues. So you need to have a heart-to-heart -heart talk with your vet about what can be done about that. Okay. That's a tough one. Okay. So we're going to move on to Caitlin. Oh, this is well, a you can answer one. that one, buddy. Okay. So how do you... <laughs> How do you get your dog to stop obsessing over and eating cat poop and her own poop? Boy, that's a good one. If, uh, if I had the answer to that, I probably would have been able to retire a long time is, ago. Is it actually really that common? Oh, amazing. Every day I hear dogs and cats that, or dogs that eat I mean, cat, dogs, and, cat I mean, and dog poop. And their own poop. Some dogs eat yeah. poops right out of the chute. It's just it's amazing. Uh, Corbin and I had a discussion before about whether I could say that P-O-O-P word, but <laughs> it's just, it, it works anyway. We know what we're all talking about. No one's um, offended, I promise. There you go. Um, no, there's not a nutritional problem. It's really kind of a behavior problem, probably a boredom problem. Um, cat poop might just taste good to them. I don't know. You don't think they're trying to get more nutrition at all? No, is... no, no. Really? No, I, that's an old wife's tale. Not that you're an old okay. wife, but uh, no, <laughs> um, no it's, it's, there's, it's not a nutrition thing. It it, some of the fattest dogs in the world will eat, eat dog and cat poop. Um, behavioral timing, boredom, something there to do. I don't know. But there are ways you can train dogs to do that, to, to eliminate that. That probably almost certainly would require some negative reinforcement. So like Tabasco? Tabasco on the poop, oh. red pepper on the poop outside. Oh. Sometimes you got to set the dog up to fail. You know, watch him go out to poop and then watch him and throw that water balloon on him. Or training collars. I'll call them shock collars for short. You know, if your dog is eating its own poop and it goes out in the backyard and starts sniffing a pile, if they have a shock collar on you, give them a little buzz, they'll think God's talking to them. Okay. Then they'll figure that out real quick. Um, but you got to keep after it too, and uh, or just be busy and pick up the poop as soon as it hits the ground. 
Yeah. You clean your cat litter box or put the cat litter box on top of the dryer so the dog can't get to it. That helps. Okay. So okay. That's, that's a logistic thing. It's another behavior thing. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Caitlin, yeah, yeah. for that. Okay. Tiffany's next question had to do with her, and this is kind of the opposite of the hip dysplasia, a 10-month-old dog. This is a 12-year-old Malamute that has hip dysplasia, which at this point in that Malamute's life is arthritis. She also has torn tendons in her legs, and I'm sure arthritis there. I would be sure also. She, um, Tiffany says she takes a pill one or two times a day for pain, and I would imagine that's a, uh, a non-steroid anti-inflammatory such as Rimadyl or Vetprofen or Duramax. There's several different ones that us veterinarians put dogs on for old dog arthritis. Um, dog food has a small amount of glucosamine. Glucosamine is a supplement that a lot of people take for joint health. Um, the jury's really out on how effective that is on dogs. It certainly doesn't hurt. It's not like a medication, so it's not going to make a night and day difference, but certainly no negatives. And her question was, should older dogs with joint issues be taking additional over-the-counter supplements? Um, and her mind is all there and her body is wearing out. Man, oh man, doesn't that happen to all of us? Um, uh, um, supplements, there are four important things for old dog arthritis. And the first is weight control, weight control, weight control, weight control, weight control. You keep what, on looking at me like that. <laughs> no, I'm not looking. What's the most important thing, Corbin? Weight control. There you go. And that Get, goes for humans, too. That, 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 <laughs> welcome to America. Um, uh, if that dog is skinnier and not carrying extra weight, then okay. it's going to be easier on her joint. No question. Um, the second most important thing is routine, moderate exercise. You know, swimming is good. Walking is good. Chasing a Frisbee, chasing a squirrel is not good for old dogs. You know, really? too many too many too many angles too many jumps too many jerks you know it's like a 70 year old guy trying to play touch football he's going to blow his cruciate tomorrow you know, just <laughs> i didn't blow, even think of it no like question that. no question so okay. easy does it so weight control routine moderate exercise so so yeah a lot of different supplements you can buy at pet stores for joint care and joint health and they're, they're all great they probably all help a little bit um there's no magic cure as far as that goes uh, and then the fourth thing is is non-steroid anti-inflammatories. It means Vetprofen, Rimadyl, Carprofen is the name of the drug, Duramax. There's there's a handful of medications that veterinarians use routinely. I have hundreds of patients on it for many, many years, um, several of the last years of their life that it helps a lot. Uh, dog earlier we talked about was probably on prednisone for arthritis. That's kind of the end result. If you have to put a dog on steroids for arthritis pain, um, you're that's going to be the end of the road. There's not a lot more powerful medications we can use than steroids. Um, so about all I can say is, you know, keep up with those things. Weight control, exercise, supplements, and anti-inflammatories. Um, I will mention one thing, though, that I did see a dog today, actually, a 12-year-old little dog, that we referred her to another veterinarian in town um, for acupuncture because she had lower back arthritis no. and bad hip, hip arthritis. And the owner was astoundingly amazed at how much it helped. Um, we do have a doctor here at the clinic, who, at the shelter now, who is, who is practicing for, our th for acupuncture techniques. And I can sure see it happening. I know nothing about it, but proof is in the pudding. Um, I won't say, just like anything, it'll help for every dog, but it might be one of the modalities that just helps this dog feel a lot better. Um, there's some other things that other veterinarians can use. There are stem cell transplants for bad hip dysplasia. Um, we don't have that here. Other vets in town do. Um, so we talked about a little bit about acupuncture. We talked about uh, stem cell transplants. Um, we talked about cold laser therapy. Uh, it's called a therapeutic K-laser. Um, there is some benefits to that. I don't have that here, but other vets in town can sure do it. Um, 
But yeah, it's a tough deal with old dogs with bad arthritis. It's just like, uh, just like Tiffany said, her mind is all there, but her body is wearing out. And, uh, so you just got to do the best you can for as long as you can. That is so hard. What is, yeah. I mean, it's so hard with large breeds. I've always had yeah. large breeds with Rotties and yeah. German Shepherds. And it's, I mean, they usually, ours tend to live into their 12, 13s. Yeah, you is get that... a big full-size dog like that to be over 10, you've done really well. If you get them to be a teenager, that's pretty lucky. Okay. Um, what is know... the longest lived uh, large breed that you've ever dealt with? Well, I've seen a few that are over 15. I've only seen a couple of Great Danes that are over 10. Really? St. Bernard's rarely live over 10, too. Um, mm. I have seen a few 20-year-old Chihuahuas. Um, okay. Yeah, they're usually meaner than a snake by then. <laughs> Chihuahuas are mean in and the I first place. And I don't mean place. to say snakes mean to a, to a herpetologist like Herman, but uh, nevertheless. Um, the general rule of thumb is the smaller, uh, the smaller the dog, the longer they live. The larger the dog, the shorter they live. Uh, mm. Gravity takes over. So. Mm -hmm. um, but it's a tough one. Yeah, big old dogs, when they lose the ability to get around and stuff, and we always have this discussion about when, and maybe we can address this right yep. now, end-of-life discussions. And, mm. um, you know, in our pets, part of my job is to help our pets live as good, long, happy, healthy life as I can. And if, if I can't help make sure tomorrow is better and more pain-free than today, you know, then it's okay. Then we have some options to mm -hmm. send them up to doggy heaven. Um, if they're just going to suffer and... And my, my determination is all about peeing and pooping control. You know, if I, I put myself in a dog's brain, if I would rather lay there and pee and poop without getting up, you know, then I think their, their mind and their body is kind of given up. So that is when, that is the turning point. That's, that's one of the discussions that I have with the owners. Now, however, just today, I had a dog, a 14-year-old little dog in that has been paralyzed for six years, cannot use his back legs, still does somewhat control his peeing and pooping and the owner takes care of him carries him out to the grass he pees and poops on the grass he washes him off every time he's been doing that for six years and the, does that's the dog funny. seem happy i the mean the dog seems amazingly happy. okay because i'm just like wondering if that's, that's ethical. No, okay. he, okay. he can still wag his tail so he's okay. not completely paralyzed but his legs are but the important thing about that dog he only weighs 11 pounds yeah. You know, so what do you do with a 120-pound Rottweiler that can't use his back legs, you know, unless you hire a weight builder to carry him in a house all the time. So got to be a little bit practical when it comes to old dogs and the end of their life and mobility and comfort of life. Has it been hard? Have you, I'm sure this has happened to you in your career when you've seen an animal that's an obvious pain. Has it been, have you been stuck in this horrible situation where the owners are like, no, like we're going to save, we're going to do everything sure. we can, and have you... What do you do? Well, that's a gr that's a great question, Corbin, and we come up with it every day. Um, and you just have to have some hard to hard discussions. Um, and there are some things that we can do. Sometimes owners just can't come to grips with it that day. But if you give them another day, you know they realize, hey, this dog's not having any fun. He can't control peeing and pooping. He's not eating. He's puking. That's no fun, and that's not a good way to live. Um, letting an animal die on their own is not the nicest way to go have the ability to help that out veterinary medicine has a great a great um benefit by helping dogs through that last step and cats and any of and what is happening when when you when you euthanize it just slowly puts them to sleep the whole yeah the drugs that are used are anesthesia drugs first so the first thing they do when it hits the animal system it makes their brain go to sleep so they're already upstairs chasing slow mice if you're a cat or up in dog heaven where squirrels don't have trees to climb in. Um, <laughs> squirrel heaven's a different story. Yeah. Um, um, and so then it just slows down their breathing and their heart rate, and it's a great way to go in most, most cases. 
We do a lot of euthanasias out here. Um, every day, I would say five to 10 animals, dogs or cats, people bring in for various reasons. And that's okay. That's part of our job, it's part of a job as a vet. If I can help make that last step into their next world as easy as I can, that's the best I can do. And you do a good job. I, I hate every time I see you, I mean, not every time, but I've had to bring in a few, you know, sure. a cat or sure. the dogs, and it, it, it's horrible. But, yeah, I mean, but you are comforting. You say, you know, you go to dog you have it, and you're very yep. uplifting. That probably is the, you know, yep. that's yep. what and, comes and to the job. That's what I say. All these years I've figured out that's, that's the nicest thing I can do. That's the nicest thing I can do. So, mm-hmm. uh, we're sometimes way more humane to our, to our pets than we are to ourselves. We has, get into that philosophy. Has anyone brought an animal in that wants to be euthanized, but you know this animal's completely healthy, it's fine? That's a really another great question. And I'm just, as, I, did, I didn't yeah, even prepare. No, no, I'm no, just, that's <laughs> a great one. And, and I'm going to be bluntly honest. We as a humane society have an obligation to help that owner come to grips with whatever they want to do with their pet too. If they decide for whatever reason that it's time for that pet to be euthanized, um, we of course will talk to them about about relinquishing it, surrendering it to the shelter, see if we can rehome it. But if they're insistent, they are the owner, uh, it's our responsibility to make that step and make those wishes of that pet as, as, as easy as we can on everybody. Are those mainly with, like, aggressive dogs? We get a I'm lot, a... yes. And, and the thing I say about aggressive dogs is, man, oh, man, what's going to happen when the grandkid comes over and gets bit in the face, you know? Um, mm. you just you, there's, there's some real cost benefits for having an aggressive animal around. And you've got, you can't watch them every second. So that's a real toughie. Um, there's a toughie. Sometimes we get disease conditions that are, that are treatable but difficult. Um, diabetic dogs and cats are a challenge, uh, but able to manage them. But you've got to spend some money and take some care. I saw one today that's been a, di- a diabetic cat for a year and a half now. He's been on twice daily insulin shots for a year and a half, and he's doing great. As good okay. as he's ever been. Um, but that's a tough part of being a vet is to help pets out through the last step of their life. Okay. Um, so, hey, let's move on to another oh, one. Oh, yeah, sorry. Oh, yeah, and, yeah. and I, 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 yeah, I have yeah. one last question yeah, for you. Yeah. Are there any breeds of dogs that you would not recommend for somebody? Boy, that's a great question. Um, I'm going to turn that around and say I would say there are every breed and almost every dog has a place. Almost. You said, I heard I said almost. I have seen dogs that have... Some aggression problems, some medical problems that um, are just going to be too difficult to deal with. Um, uh, that's a that's a tough question. Um, big aggressive dominant dogs that have the equipment to do some damage. Uh, we all know who they are. Um, they have to be trained very well. Some of the nicest dogs I've seen are Rotties, but yeah. I've seen some aggressive, tough to deal with Rotties too. So, mm-hmm. um, not to pick on any specific breed. It's just big dogs, they have the equipment to do some damage, and so you got to be careful. Although, I'd almost rather deal with an angry Rottweiler than an angry cat. Really? Cats have five weapons. They can hurt you bad with their claws and their bite. Rotties okay. can only deal with their mouth. So wow. That's a toughie. That's interesting. Okay. Uh, which large breed do you think gets the baddest rap? Um, well, pit bulls, of course. I think pit bulls. I have yeah. a pit bull, and she's sure. so sweet. Well, and they are. Pits are great dogs. Um, a lot of the dogs that go through shelters are pit bulls, just for lots of different reasons. But I would say 99% of pit or pit mixes are, are great dogs. Um, they, they sometimes have some uh, difficulties with other dogs at times, uh, but not very often with people. Uh, but they are in the category of dogs that sometimes have the equipment to do some damage. So 
you got to be uh, you got to be the boss of the ownership with the ownership of a pit bull, um, and training and all that kind of stuff is really important. Okay, so I do want to address the uh, uh, ferret smelling Susan Davis. Thank you so much. Do you see a lot of ferrets, by the way? We do see a lot of ferrets. Um, I'm going to be honest, though, Corbin. I'm kind of slowing down. I'm not seeing any new ferret pets. Um, I have only so many hours in my day, and uh, so new ferret owners need to go find another ferret vet in town. People I've seen for years, I'm happy to continue to see their ferrets. Okay. Um, just not taking new ferret pets. Okay, I would say, okay, so why do ferrets smell? This is just something natural. Yeah, they are they, a type of just, weasel. This is... Yeah, they, they just do. They have some body odor to them. Their anal, their scent glands are removed mm -hmm. at about, mm -hmm. two or th when do they do that? Four or five weeks or something? I think so, something at the like same that, time, yeah. they spay and neuter them. Um, most of the ferrets in North America are, are from Marshall Farms, and um, they spay and neuter them and descent them when they're like five or six mm -hmm. weeks old. I mean, it's, I've seen a video of that procedure. It's amazing um, how they can do it. Um, so they don't really have their scent glands anymore, and they smell a little bit, but, you know, hey, that's what ferrets smell. If you don't like it, don't have a ferret. <laughs> yeah, they do stink. I mean, yeah, my, yeah. I, mean, but, I, mean but, I mean, stink in, in a good way, but if you have a ferret yeah, in the house, you, you, yeah. know they, you know there's a ferret around. But that's just in the same family, you know, skunks, you know, weasels yeah. too, yeah. they all yeah. have a scent to them. Yep, yep. So, they're all going to. Susan, thank you. Uh, thank you for the question. Yeah. Okay, do you want to take us on, the, uh, on our next question? Yeah, Roberta had a question about vaccines and vaccine doses, and why is the same dose, which is one cc, the same dose for a four pound dog as it is for a 130 pound dog? Well, because there's a certain number of, of antigen, antibody responsive units in that vial. And so even a tiny dog needs that whole dose to get the proper immune, immune response. Um, that's been, been uh, beat into me for all, all the, I go to a lot of vaccine seminars when I go to meetings and all the vaccine people say, don't cut the doses in half. All you're gonna do is give the dog less immunity. So don't break them down there. Um, it, seems, it seems silly that you, you need to give the same dose to a tiny dog, but you just do, that's the bottom line. Okay. Some companies do make a vaccine now that's only half the volume of, other vac of the other vaccines, their regular vaccines. Um, I don't know of that myself. I don't have those. I've heard of that. Some veterinarians probably have those. So call around and see if you got the small dose vaccine, I guess. A vaccine seminar, man. You just put me to sleep, Dr. Coop. Uh, how do you, yeah. <laughs> I mean, are you yeah. drinking like a double Starbucks? How are you, how are you, how are you? I don't know how you do it. We can talk about vaccines. Oh, now my most favorite question that I saw on this list today. Some, Jan wants to know, why does my Yorkie back up when you try or pick her up off the floor when you know she clearly wants to be picked up? Why, Dr. Koo? And this is my mom, by the way. I know. That's why. I, I feel bad we made her wait 45 no, minutes into the podcast. That's all right. No sweat. I don't have a good answer there except to think that maybe she got hurt once upon a time. Or the other thing that I think is as or more important is... Think about this little tiny dog down on the floor and this person that's 10 or 20 times taller than her reaching down. It'd be like the most giant ant in the world reaching down to try and pick you up. It would be. So, Jan, I'm afraid to say, you're going to have to bend <laughs> down, get down on the floor, the same level as your little dog to pick her up before you pick her up. And then stand up with her. Deep knee, deep knee bends. And, Mom, that was not a weight joke. We no, just were all big. No, no, no. That's all part of the deal. Part of the deal. Hey, and then Susan had another question that's really a little bit of a technical thing, but I did want to address it a little bit. Her question was, is there a movement underway towards alternatives to spaying and neutering dogs or cats, such as tubal ligations and vasectomies? Why or why not? Well, 
Most of the reason, one of the reasons we spay and neuter our dogs is to make sure that there's not excess unwanted pets. One of the other reasons, is probably as or more important, is because of all the unwanted testosterone and estrogen driven problems that dogs have. Male dogs, they mount everything in the world. They get out of the, out of the fence when they smell a female dog in heat and want to breed them. They, uh, they pee on every bush they, they walk by. Those are all testosterone driven behaviors. So if we remove the testicles, they're not going to have testosterone and they're going to be in a people oriented world instead of a dog oriented world. And so it's just a lot healthier for them. And, and mentioning healthy, those are the behavioral reasons. The medical reasons are testosterone produces or allows to happen easier testicular cancer, obviously, if you don't have, if the dogs don't have testicles, they're not going to get testicular cancer. They get prostate disease, prostate cancer, benign prostatic hypertrophy, same thing as old men. Um, neutering them eliminates that possibility. Um, anal gland problems, um, anal gland adenomas, tumors around the rectum are common and they're all testosterone driven. Similarly, on the other side of the coin, female dogs behaviorally, if you've ever been around a female dog in heat, it's a mess, plus they're hussies. They want to go out and find a boyfriend. That's what nature says, time to get me bread. And then medically, spayed female dogs have a very, very, very low incidence of breast cancer, whereas if they're not spayed, they have a high incidence of breast cancer. If you remove their ovaries, then obviously they're not going to get ovarian cancer, which is amazingly common, or uterine cancer, or cervical cancer. Um, and they're also not going to get a condition called pyometra, which means pus in the uterus. After a dog is in heat, uh, their cervix dilates, they get some infection in there, their body, as far as it's concerned, is, is healthy and having babies. So what do they do? It makes that, that environment inside the uterus be just perfect for infection. Uh, we see pyometra dogs in here two or three times a week that are not spayed and they're sick, sick, sick. Um, those dogs need to have essentially an emergency spay. Um, it's essentially a pyometra spay, but we do a lot of them and we're really good at it here because we do so many surgeries. So besides the behavioral problems for spaying and neutering, um, the medical problems are really great for spaying and neutering. Um, if so, to answer that more specifically, if you just do a tubal ligation or a vasectomy, you still have the estrogen and you still have the testosterone in that animal. And getting those hormones out of there is the big thing. So I think the bottom line is spare new to your pets. Is that what you're saying? Spay and new to your pets. Um, there is routinely, we used to say five or six months, and at a humane society, of course, we're going to spay and new to those dogs whenever we get a chance. Um, privately owned pets. Uh, no real rush. And in fact, there's a, some pretty good evidence that waiting until oh, a year, maybe even 18 months or two years, especially for big dogs, so their growth plates of their bones finish growing before you have them spayed and neuters is a good thing for their long life. So waiting until your, especially your giant breeds are probably 16, 18 months, maybe even two years is not a, is a, probably a good idea to wait till then to spay and neuter. That's a good deal. Okay. So one of the last questions we have here had to do with raw diets. What are the, po <laughs> what are the positives and negatives of feeding raw diets? Can well, I, yeah, please. Can I tell you something? Yeah. So my mom has switched to raw diets, and it is ridiculous. I'll walk in to their home, and it's, she'll have a chicken in the crock pot. She'll have carrots. She'll have types of peas and I'm like what are you and it smells so good I'm like wow it's so nice to come sure. home to dinner to and dinner she's, for the she's it's for the dogs she's getting whole chickens and sure. I'm just like what is going on well my my uh, millions of dogs have eaten billions and billions of tons of dog food that is processed and developed specifically to meet the nutrient requirements of of pets 
those guys have already done the research. Every bite of dog food that your dog eats of prepared commercial dog food has the right balance of proteins and minerals and vitamins and nutrition. You don't know that no matter how careful you are with your homemade diets, you don't know that that's the way it is. You don't know exactly how much protein or yeah, carbs they get. What about those cheaper ones? I mean, you know, you, you cheap, have the off-brand. Cheaper and then you food? Have, yeah, cheaper generally. food. Yeah. Correct. Yeah, I mean, you get what you pay. Uh, one of the few things in life that I really believe in is you get what you pay for in dog and cat food. Uh, more expensive food is going to have more meat protein, better quality meat protein, less fillers, more digestible food, all that kind of stuff. Um, so stay away from the real bottom of the line foods, the real cheapest foods. Um, I'm, uh, I, I don't want to say anything negative about the really fancy designer foods on range-free chicken and uh, <laughs> and never touched potatoes or something, you know. But uh, um, that's fine. But I don't think most of our dogs need that special stuff unless they have some sensitivity or something. Okay. Different story. But raw diets, the negatives. Well, bacterial contamination. Um, there's nothing for them to chew in that. It's like us eating peanut butter and never brushing your teeth. You know, imagine. So a dog or a cat eating raw diet, they're just going to have mush in their mouth all the time. Um, so the nutritional aspects, um, the, the mechanical aspect of chewing on dry food is so much greater than any raw food. That's my big thing. Really? And some people, and I've heard, I was listening to a podcast, and you know, some new agey, I guess not new agey yeah, people, oh yeah, but yeah. your mom, my, <laughs> I guess my mom, hi mom, but uh, you know, they, they you know believe it's it's more natural the raw food, and I've even heard of some people, and she doesn't do this, but they'll only feed their dogs like, I don't know, two or three times a week, but they'll feed sure. them like a, a, seven pounds of meat. Sure. What are your thoughts on that? The same. Dogs aren't wolves. I mean, wolves for millions of years have been developed to eat that way. Dogs just aren't. And uh, I, I just don't see the data behind it. I don't see the research behind it. I think you're going to do more harm than you are good. And uh, it's like you mentioned, I would hate to have to spend two hours, three or four times a week making dog food <laughs> for my dog, which is no better, in my opinion, of course, than commercial, good commercial food. Okay. Then, Dr. Coob, you've said it all. Uh, we talked a long time, Corbin. You got any specifics, buddy? No, I, <laughs> I just, I actually want to thank you. Yeah. And because this is, you know, you're so knowledgeable. And would you. I'm old and experienced. You're old and <laughs> experienced. What, okay, what about this? Yeah. What is the most exotic animal you've ever tended to? Pelican. A pelican? <clears throat> yeah. Okay. Took care of a pelican. I uh, took care of one of the condors from the Birds of Prey Center fell out of its nest and broke its pelvis. Okay. Um, I have uh, spayed several iguanas. Um, you know, there's the variety. I have a great little story I'm going to tell you. My father was a small-town family doctor, and some of our conversations when I was in vet school was how easy he had it, you know, taking care of just one species of animal. <laughs> and I had all these different species of animals. His, his comeback was, no, teenagers are different. <laughs> I thought it was great. But it's fun. It makes every day different. Um, you know, we've treated bears here. We've treated all sorts of reptiles. Um, you one time brought in a spider, a tarantula once. And you told me it looked better on the bottom of your foot. That's exactly right. I'm going to draw my line at spiders, man. I, just, I will do skunks. I've descended skunks. But, uh, spy, you know, tarantulas, they can no. stay away from Now, me. mind you, I'm sure listeners are thinking, Corbin, what an idiot. Why would you bring a tarantula to the veterinarian? So just so you know, every time I'm on the Today Show with my animals, I have to get tons of permits, special permits to exhibit the animals. So 
when we do these shows, the uh, state of New York requires that every animal gets a health certificate. So I think yeah. there's there's a picture of you just staring at this spider. Yeah. So well, Corbin had to take its temperature and listen to its heart. And like, <laughs> no, that's a joke. That's a joke. That's a joke. That was a what we call a, a through the bars looking in the cage. That uh, that spider looks great. He literally just said she looks great. That's right. You can yeah, put her back. Put That's her back. Right. She's fine. That's right. Oh my goodness. So what do you have to say to any young listeners who aspire to be veterinarians? Good good question. We have first off, I would say the more experience you can get in any capacity in animal care and animal husbandry and handling animals. Good. Oh. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, working at a vet clinic, volunteering at a vet clinic, volunteering out here at the Idaho Humane Society. We have a tremendous volunteer program. Um, come and hang out at the clinic. If you're um, over 15, um, if you're over 15 years old, you can come and hang out in the clinic and watch some surgeries. Um, uh, Again, I said volunteer, handle animals, uh, prepare, get good grades. Um, most veterinarians go through four, three or four years of pre-vet school, and then they go through four years of vet school. Um, so seven years of college at least. Oof. And stick with your math and sciences and chemistry. Communications. Learn how to talk to people. Oh, yeah. That's a good one. That's a good That's one. Right. That's right. Yeah. Are there any vet schools you'd recommend? Well, anybody in, in Idaho is going to first go to Washington State. That's the vet school that most Idaho students are. There are 29 veterinary colleges in the United States. Uh, don't quote me on that. Um, so most uh, most vet schools have uh, one or two stu- states that they take state residents from that state preferentially. Mm-hmm. Um, I went to Iowa State. I'm a Midwestern guy. Moved out here right away and uh, love it. Now, what? Now, mind you, this podcast is global. We have sure. a lot of listeners in Korea, actually. Sure. Way cool. <laughs> in Korea. Way cool. So I, I have no knowledge of the Korean vet schools. Um, <laughs> however, I'm sure there are some. Uh, now, I will put in a little plug that I'm going to retract a little bit, though. We do now, right now, we are a class for Washington State University vet students. Their senior year, they spend two weeks down here, and we put them in front of a table, and they try and spay 30 or 40 animals to get some experience under their belt. Before we signed a contract with Washington State to have them exclusively, we were taking students from all over the world. And uh, we had students from England and Australia and New Zealand um, and almost all the states in the U.S., uh, but now we're exclusively just taking uh, uh, Washington State University students. Um, when we get to our new facility, which should open in about a year, uh, we might have some. We might be able to expand that a little bit. Okay. Stay, Doctor, stay tuned. Stay tuned. And the new facility is great. And About a year from now. It should be good. Oh, it's beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful, beautiful. Well, Dr. Coop, thank you so much. Would you do this again? Do it whenever you want, Corbin, anytime. Okay. So then I'll just have to make sure to schedule you out weeks in advance. Fair enough. I hear you. I hear you. All if right. you get another bunch of questions, I'd be happy to answer them. That'd be great. That'd be great. Well, thank you just for your time. And I think we answered a lot of these for people. Uh, we got them. Keep those questions coming. Keep them coming. All right. Thank you so much for listening, folks. If you have not already, please, uh, you can follow the Idaho Humane Society on Facebook. You can also follow my page on Facebook, uh, Instagram, Twitter. Also, uh, send your emails. Uh, You can email your questions as well. They have forms on the website. So, and keep them coming. Thanks, Corbin. Thanks a lot. Thanks for listening to the Animals to the Max podcast. Please make sure to hit subscribe and leave a rating. It really helps me out. I also encourage you to check out CorbinMaxi.com. You can contact me there personally, even suggest a podcast guest, or if you just want to learn more about animals.